Chapter 16 That night she had to dream again. This time the wind howled as she stepped onto the lake. Dark waves, the color of ink tossed about her ankles, soaked the hem of her nightgown. The colors were so vivid. The night sky was like black velvet, the moon golden, nearly as bright as the sun. She walked over the waves. The water felt cold, so cold on her feet. Again, someone was watching her from the shore. Who was it? She wanted desperately to see. She tried to turn around, but something held her back. She had to keep walking, walking so slowly but steadily on top of the lapping dark waves. Soon she would be surrounded by water. The land, the woods, they would all disappear behind her. Who was it? Who was watching her on the shore? Who was watching her so silently as she walked over the water? Suddenly she could see. Everything shifted and she could see the shore, the low scrub, the hunkering dark trees behind it. It was so bright now. The moon was blindingly white. It spread over the shore like a spotlight. Who was there? Someone was standing in that white light. She squinted to see better. Yes. Yes, she could see him now. It was Walker. Walker, standing so statue still, so silent, watching her as she turned once again and walked over to low waves. Walker, why are you watching me like that? Then suddenly, he was gone with the bright moonlight. It was replaced by the wet darkness of the waves. They were pulling her down. Down. She tried to resist, tried to swim, but the water was too powerful. It was up to the waist of her nightgown, so cold now, so freezing cold and so heavy. Heavy, heavier. She was sinking into the water. Oh, help me, somebody. Why can't I swim? Why can't I break away? Down she fell. She tried to raise her arms as her head went under, but she couldn't lift them from her side. Down into the heavy dark water. It was choking her now. Oh, let me breathe! She woke up. But she was still in the dream, or so it seemed. Oh, let me breathe! The water choked her. She gasped and struggled against the waves. She flailed her arms and gasped, swallowing more water. Was she still asleep? No, this was real. She was in water, deep water. She was drowning. The water swelled over her head. She closed her eyes and struggled back up to the top. She burst above the surface, choking, splashing, reaching up, trying to pull herself up, pull herself out of the water, out of the dream that wasn't a dream. She tried to scream, to cry for help, but no sound came out. Her hair was tangled, matted over her face. She struggled to push it away so she could breathe. I can't stay up, she thought, and started to drop again. Her eyes opened wide, her heart pounding, the only sound except for the quiet, deadly swirling of the waters as they encircled her once again. I'm drowning. I'm dead. But where am I? She started to see colors, bright colors. Her chest hurt. Her lungs felt ready to explode. I'm drowning. I'm dead. Strong arms grabbed her shoulders. Strong arms hoisted her up. Was she dreaming this too? She opened her eyes. No, there was a small speedboat. A man in a baseball cap pulled down over his forehead. The man had a short beard. He had her by the shoulders. He pulled. She was heavy now, as heavy as a whale. Help me, he said. Can you help me lift you? His voice sounded so far away, miles away. He pulled again. She couldn't help him. The small boat tilted and bobbed. It seemed like forever until she was sprawled in the small boat. Can you talk, he asked. He had kind eyes beneath the baseball cap. She raised her head and vomited. Water poured out of her mouth, the brackish lake water. She choked, took a deep breath, vomited again, and began to feel better. Can you breathe, he asked. She saw a rod and reel, a tackle box beside the small outboard motor at the back of the boat. He didn't wait for an answer. Good thing I came along. She nodded. She started to shake. It, it's so cold, she said. He tugged the rope on the motor, and it started right up. I'll get you to shore, he said. Sorry I don't have a blanket. 
I didn't expect to fish a girl out of the lake tonight. You're the only thing I caught, though. Myra looked into the dark, tree-lined shore. They were nearly there. She hadn't sleepwalked very far into the lake. Just far enough to drown herself. What were you doing in the water this time of night, all by yourself? The fisherman asked. I don't know, she said. Chapter 17 Mrs. Barnes, biting her lower lip, put down the phone receiver. Dr. Stern says he can see you in the morning. Would you like another ball of tomato soup? No, I'm warmed up, Myra said, twirling the soup spoon around and around between her fingers. Do you really think you can help me? Her mother walked across the kitchen, came up behind her, and put her arms around Myra's shoulders. Myra, we've got to do something. You nearly drowned tonight. She bent down and pressed her cheek against Myra's still wet hair. I really do think Dr. Stern can help. Myra sighed. She looked up at the kitchen clock. Was it really 3.30 in the morning? You'd better go to bed, her mother said. Think you can sleep? I don't know if I want to sleep, Myra said. She stared out the window into the darkness. I'm really scared, Mom. Why am I doing this? Don't worry. Dr. Stern will help you find out why. And in the meantime, you can sleep in my room, Mrs. Barnes said. But her trembling lower lip and the tears forming in the corners of her eyes told Myra that her mother was as frightened and mystified by this as she was. The two hospital receptionists, seated inside the circular desk in the center of the lobby, were more interested in talking to each other than to the people who came up to them asking for directions and information. I don't know, Barbara. I just don't know, the smaller woman kept repeating to the larger woman, who kept shaking her head in agreement. Myra, dressed in tan shorts and a long-sleeved yellow t-shirt, waited patiently, leaning on the desk. After a while, she realized she'd have to interrupt if she was ever going to get to Dr. Stern's office in time. Can you tell me how to get to Dr. Stern's office? Fourth floor, the one named Barbara said without really acknowledging Myra's presence. Take the elevators on the left, her companion added, surprisingly helpful. Myra thanked them and headed to the left bank of elevators. Even though it was before nine in the morning, a large crowd was waiting for the next elevator. Oh, sorry! Myra bumped into a woman with a big white cast on her foot. Watch it! The woman glared at Myra and moved away, leaning heavily on a metal crutch. I'm so nervous, I'm not paying attention to anything, Myra thought. I don't want to be here. I'm not sick. Why am I in the hospital? She wondered where her mother was. Probably on the sixth floor. That was the recovery floor. Mrs. Barnes had wanted to accompany Myra to Dr. Stern's office, but she had an overload of demanding patients to deal with up there. Why did it keep it so hot in here, Myra wondered. She pushed her hair back off her shoulder, wishing she had pinned it up. The elevator finally arrived and everyone crushed into it, looking very sour and uncomfortable. On the second floor, two doctors in green surgical suits and caps got on, talking to each other in low voices about a patient. By the time the elevator reached the fourth floor, Myra was smushed against the back wall. Getting out, she called, but no one seemed to hear her. Please, getting out. The door started to close as she pushed her way to the front of the elevator. She made a desperate leap and popped out just as the door slammed shut. Now where do I go, she asked herself. She searched the pale green walls until she found a sign, psychiatric. It had an arrow beside it pointing to the right, so Myra walked to the right, passed through two swinging doors, and kept walking. There were patients' rooms on both sides of the narrow hallway. Through half-closed doors, she could see people lying in their beds. Some were sleeping. Some were awake, staring up at TV sets that seemed to be suspended from the ceiling. The sounds of a game show echoed through the halls. I must have made a wrong turn, Myra thought. These people look sick. They don't look like psychiatric patients. Can I help you? A large orderly carrying a stack of trays stepped in front of her. Oh, yes, I'm looking for Dr. Stern's office. He's in psychiatric. Yeah, I know. I... Just turn around, go back through those doors, and make a sharp right. Okay, thanks a lot. She turned around uncertainly and tried to follow her directions. 
Past the door, she turned right and headed down a similar hall, this one with pale blue walls. I've got to get out of here, Myra said aloud. She turned again and walked quickly through another set of swinging doors. Another sign said psychiatric. An arrow pointed straight ahead. A nurse, pushing a cart of breakfast trays, smiled reassuringly at her as she passed. Feeling a little encouraged, Myra continued walking, reading the nameplates beside each door. She reached a small nurse's station where a tired-looking nurse was slumped behind a desk, her eyes closed. Myra was about to ask her the location of Dr. Stern's office when she stopped and gasped aloud. The man there! It was Cal! She recognized the short blonde hair, the staring eyes, the wide neck. He didn't see her at first. He was sitting on a couch near the nurse's station, his eyes on the sign that said, Psychiatric. But then he turned and looked at her, and their eyes met. Myra quickly looked down, saw the cardboard bracelet on his arm. Oh no, she thought, realizing at once why Cal was there. He was a mental patient. Chapter 18 Hey, you! It took Cal a while to recognize her. He seemed confused, groggy. He struggled to his feet, and Myra saw for the first time that he was gripping a cane. Myra turned, looking for a place to run. His face reddened. His expression turned from surprise to anger. Hey, stop! His shouts woke up the nurse, who leapt from her chair. Keeping the nurse's desk between them, Myra walked quickly away. Hey, stop! He was coming after her, his face red, his eyes bulging with anger. Myra started to jog. She almost collided with a cart of lunch trays. Hey, watch where you're going, an alarmed orderly called. She looked back. Cal was gaining on her, leaning against his cane as he lumbered forward, waving his free hand at her frantically. Stop. You. Somebody stop that girl, he bellowed. She turned a corner, looking for a place to hide. She ducked into a room. Hello? Can I help you? A young woman sat up quickly in her bed near the window. Oh, sorry. Wrong room, Myra said. She slipped back out into the hallway. Got you now, Cal yelled, coming around the corner. Stop. You won't get away. What do you want? Leave me alone, Myra cried. Cal lunged forward clumsily, desperate to get to her. Suddenly, two nurses appeared on either side of him, grabbing him, holding him back. Idiots! Let me go, he bellowed. Then Myra saw the sign next to an open door. Dr. Lawrence Stern. A young man with curly copper hair stood outside the door. He was dressed in a dark brown suit and was sifting through some papers on a clipboard. Hearing Cal struggle noisily with the nurses, Myra darted around the young man and plunged into the empty office. She started to close the door behind her, but the young man held up the clipboard to block the door. Excuse me, miss, he said, looking very surprised. What are you doing? I'm, uh, I have an appointment with Dr. Stern, Myra stammered. This is his office, right? Yes, it is. He followed her into the office and placed his clipboard on his cluttered desk. I'm Dr. Stern. But you're too young. That's what Myra almost blurted out. Somehow she managed to stop herself in time. But she wasn't able to stop her mouth from dropping open in surprise. I'm not at all what you pictured, right? Dr. Stern said, looking her up and down. Well, yeah, Myra admitted. I've tried to grow a beard so that I'll look older, the psychiatrist said. But it comes in all splotchy. Makes me look like a ferret. He smiled at her, but his expression quickly changed. Why did you run in here like that? A man was chasing me, one of the mental patients. Mental patient? Dr. Stern stepped out into the hall and looked both ways. He's big and blonde. He has a huge neck. A huge neck, he called from the hallway. Ella, did you see someone out here with a huge neck? A tall, thin nurse with straight black hair and black horn-rimmed glasses appeared in the hallway beside Dr. Stern. She wasn't the same nurse that had helped Myra escape by restraining Cal. No, I haven't seen anyone, the nurse said. Was he a patient of yours? No, no, thanks, Dr. Stern said, rubbing his chin. He returned to the office, staring skeptically at Myra. 
He really was there, Myra said. He's chased me before, the man with the huge neck. Yes. He asked my friend about me, and he followed me one day. And now I've found out that he's a mental patient here, and... Dr. Stern held up both hands. Whoa, slow down. Let me get this straight. You say a man with a huge neck has been following you outside, even though he's a patient at this hospital. Yes, you don't believe me, do you? Myra asked, suddenly feeling angry. I just realized who you are, he said, sitting down in a tall black leather chair behind his cluttered desk. You're Amy Barnes's daughter. Myra, right? Myra felt herself flushing for some reason. This man was her mother's friend, and now he thought she was totally bananas, imagining that people were following her. Yeah, Mom said that you've been sleepwalking. She told you the whole story? Yes, but I'd like to hear it in your words. He motioned for her to sit down in a green leather armchair across from his desk. Aren't I supposed to lie down on a couch or something? I'm supposed to be a bald, old man with a foreign accent, and you're supposed to lie down on a couch, he said, chuckling. Well, sorry, I don't have an accent, and I don't have a couch. Think you can talk to me sitting up? Myra smiled for the first time. At least he had a sense of humor. She plopped down in the chair and let out a long sigh. Are you frightened? Dr. Stern asked, leaning forward over his desk. He turned down a fresh sheet of paper on a long yellow pad. No, I mean, yes, I mean, not of you. He looked disappointed. You don't think I'm a scary guy? No, Myra said. You're trying to be real sweet to put me at ease, right? Right, he said quickly. Want to see me juggle three apples? Myra left. No, not really. I'm feeling better now. You look kind of tired, he said. Have you been getting much sleep? No, I'm afraid to go asleep. Afraid you'll sleepwalk? Yes. Start at the beginning, he said, making a note on the pad. Tell me about the first time you sleepwalked. Every detail you can remember. Recreate it all for me. Close your eyes if you want to. Try to picture everything you tell me. Myra closed her eyes, but quickly reopened them. No, I might fall asleep. Staring past him to the window behind his desk, Myra proceeded to tell him as much as she could, starting out with the strange dream she had each time. It took a long time to tell it all. By the time she finished, recounted being pulled out of the lake, choking and nearly half-drowned. He had filled the entire page of the notepad. Am I cracking up or what? Myra asked, surprised that her voice was trembling. She thought she would feel relieved after telling her story to a psychiatrist, but she found herself feeling more nervous and frightened than ever. You're not cracking up, Dr. Stern said, making a face. Stop thinking that way. I think something is troubling you, troubling you deeply. But I don't think you need to worry about it having to have some sort of mental breakdown. That's not what causes your sleepwalking. Then what does cause it, Myra demanded. I think it could be caused by repressed trauma, Dr. Stern said. What? You'll have to explain that. I haven't taken psych in school yet. Something is troubling you, he explained. Something very upsetting. You're trying to deal with it when you're asleep, because you find it too upsetting to deal with when you're awake. Myra stared at him, thinking about what he was suggesting. Something very upsetting is troubling me, he nodded. Your subconscious is trying to work it out. But if it's so upsetting, wouldn't I remember what it is? He opened his desk drawer, searched quickly for something, then reclosed it. He stared into her eyes. Do you have any idea what it might be? Myra shook her head. No, I can't think of anything that's upsetting me that much. I don't like my summer job very much, but that's no big deal. Myra realized she hadn't told Dr. Stern about Mrs. Cotier or about her suspicions that Mrs. Cotier or Stephanie had cast a sleepwalking spell on her. If I did, he really would think I'm crazy, she reasoned. I broke up with my boyfriend a while ago, but I'm not too upset about that either. I have a new boyfriend. Dr. Stern looked at his watch. Oh, I'm really sorry. That's all the time we have for today, he said. Myra stood up. Sorry, I... 
I want you to come back next week, he said. He stood up and guided her to the door. Do you want to come back and talk some more? I, I guess. And I don't want you to worry that you're losing your mind or are desperately sick or something. Wait a second. He walked back to his desk and scribbled something on a pad. He tore off the sheet and gave it to her. What's this? Myra couldn't read a word of it. It's a prescription for something to help you sleep. It's very mild, non-addictive. I want you to take it every night a half hour before you go to bed. I've had real success with it. Another patient of mine was a sleepwalker, and this drug stopped the sleepwalking for good. But I... You need to sleep. You're really overtired, Myra. And I think that if you could get yourself into a more tranquil frame of mind, then maybe you could start to discover what is really troubling you, the true cause of your sleepwalking. Myra tucked the prescription into the pocket of her shorts. So that's your advice. Get some sleep. He smiled. At least I didn't say, take two aspirin and call me in the morning. You look a lot better today, Myra told Donna, dropping warily into the folding chair beside Donna's hospital bed. You mean I'm semi-conscious instead of unconscious? I mean you look better. For one thing, those awful tubes are gone. Yeah, I'm on my own now, Donna said sarcastically. I'm not Frankenstein anymore. Now I'm just a mummy. Look at these bandages. Myra felt a chill go down her back. It should be me lying in that hospital bed, she thought. It was supposed to be me. The maniac in a pickup truck. He thought he was pushing me off the road. So, tell me some news of the outside world, Donna said. Myra was thinking about Dr. Stern, about his explanation of her sleepwalking. Something was troubling her, he had said. Something was troubling her so much that she couldn't think about it while she was awake. What could it possibly be? Hey, Myra, did you conk out? Donna's voice interrupted her thoughts. Oh, sorry. What's happening with your job? Do you still think Mrs. Cartier is casting a spell on you? Yes, Myra answered quickly. I mean, no. I mean, I don't know. Well, at least you're clear about it, Donna laughed. Ow, don't make me laugh. It's too painful. I sleepwalked again, Myra said, suddenly feeling very weary. This time I was drowned. Oh, no. Myra, I'm so sorry. Where were you? In the lake, behind the Fear Street Woods. You know, near Mrs. Cartier's house. You walked all the way there in your sleep? Yeah, first I dream about the lake, then I walk to it. It's so strange. You know, Mrs. Katia lost a child in the lake. I wonder if that has anything to do with... Her mind drifted off. She didn't finish her thought. What happened when you got to the lake? Donna asked. When I got there, I guess I kept walking. And you didn't wake up in the water? Donna's face filled with horror and concern. No, not until some fisherman came by and pulled me out. If he hadn't been there, I... Donna reached over and grabbed Myra's hand with her free hand. Myra, you've got to tell someone about Mrs. Cartier. You've got to tell someone what you suspect. I've just been to a shrink downstairs. That's why I'm here so early. And you told him? No, I couldn't. I don't think that shrink believes in witchcraft, do you? No, I guess not. But Myra, this is so scary. The next time... Myra let go of Donna's hand and walked to the window. She stared down at the crowded parking lot, thinking hard. The lake. She had to think about the lake. All this time she had been focusing on everything but the lake. And the lake now seemed so important. The lake had to be a clue to why this was happening to her. Why she was sleepwalking. There was something troubling her, Dr. Stern had said. Something troubling her that she was trying to solve in her sleep. Something troubling her about the lake. I'm going to do something about it, she blurted. Not realize she was talking aloud. Huh? Donna called from the bed. Myra, come back. I can't see you. I'm going to go to the lake. What are you talking about? I'm going to the lake. Tonight. 
Terrific. Have a nice time, Donna said, confused. I'm always going there in my sleep. Tonight, I'll go there while I'm awake. Maybe I'll learn something that way, Donna. Maybe the lake will tell me something. The lake will tell you something? Donna looked even more confused. I'll let you know, Myra said, very excited. Talk to you later. Fine, Donna said dejectedly, watching her friend hurry away. I'll be here. I'm not going anywhere. The night air was hot and sticky. Tree toads chirped relentlessly in the trees. Somewhere far off in the woods, a dog howled mournfully, waiting for a reply, then howled again. Ow! Myra slapped at a mosquito. She looked up at the dark trees, so still, still as a photograph. She stepped deeper into the fierce tree woods, her flashlight aimed at a narrow, weed-clotted path in front of her. I'm glad Walker didn't come, she told herself. She pulled a clump of tall weed out of her way. She had called him right after dinner and asked if he wanted to come out with her to the lake. The lake? What for? He had sounded terribly confused. Just for fun, she said, not wanting to reveal the true purpose of her journey over the phone. After all, she wasn't really sure why she was going. She just knew she had to do something. Walking through the fierce street woods at night doesn't sound like fun to me, Walker said. But the lake will be so pretty tonight, she argued. It's nearly a full moon. I can't, Myra. I promised my cousin I'd babysit for her twins tonight. You sure? Myra asked suspiciously. Really? I'd come with you if I could. Listen, we'll go to the lake some other time, okay? Well, you wouldn't go by yourself, would you? Well, no, really. I don't want you to go by yourself. That's just not smart. Well, Myra, come on. I'll worry about you too much. She debated in her mind whether to tell him the real reason she wanted to go to the lake at night, and decided he really wouldn't understand. I'll call you later, she told him, to see how you're surviving with your cousin's twin terrors. Then she hung up. At first, she was disappointed that Walker wouldn't come with her, but then she realized she was better off without him. If there was something she had to discover at the lake, she probably stood a better chance of finding it alone. Moonlight filtered eerily through the thick trees. Glimmers of silver light made the woods seem unreal, like a place in a dark fairy tale. The air was so still, Myra could hear her every breath. The tree toads suddenly stopped chirping. Now the only other sounds were those of her sneakers scraping the soft ground as she made her way along the winding path through the woods. The fear came over her all at once as if sneaking up from behind and pouncing on her. She stopped and tried to shake it off, but she was trembling all over. Her legs felt weak as paper. Her head was pounding. What is happening to me, she wondered. Maybe it was the realization that she was all alone in the fierce street woods, where so many horrible, mysterious things had taken place. Maybe it was being so close to the lake where she had nearly been swallowed up the night before. Maybe Mrs. Katia was working her evil magic, using her witch's powers to keep Myra from the lake, to keep Myra from discovering what she had to discover. I've got to keep going, Myra thought. She directed the flashlight along the path and started walking again, forcing her legs forward, forcing herself to ignore her trembling body, her throbbing forehead. After a short while, the lake came into view. It was steel gray under the dark sky. The water lapped gently, almost silently against the muddy shore. Glad to be out of the woods, Myra started to run over the tall grass that led toward the water. The lake seemed larger than usual, so wide it disappeared into the darkness on both sides. Fear Island, the small island in the center of the lake, was just a bulging shadow in the distance. Myra took a deep breath. What secret do you have for me, Lake? Why do I dream about you? Why do I keep walking to you in my sleep? Why does Mrs. Cartier draw me to you? What awful secret are you hiding from me? She sat down on the edge of a small wooden dock that jutted out a few yards over the water. The fear hadn't left her, but the trembling had stopped. The water below was so beautiful, so soothing. 
She was about to take off her sneakers and dip her feet in the water when she heard the footsteps on the tall grass behind her and realized she was no longer alone. Chapter 19 Who's there? Myra's voice came out a whisper. Her body seemed to freeze. She had to force herself to breathe. Struggling to put the sneaker back on, she stared into the darkness. Who's there? The sneaker was knotted. She couldn't get it back on, and her hands were shaking too hard to untie the knot. She hopped off the dock, holding the sneaker in one hand and looking for a place to hide. There was a clump of low shrubs a few hundred feet down the shoreline. She heard the crack of twigs, footsteps on the soft ground. Who is it? She called, not recognizing her voice. Her throat choked with fear. More footsteps growing louder. Then, hey, a voice called. It was too late to run. Hey, a familiar voice. Her heart was pounding. She raised a stinker high as if to use it as a weapon. He appeared suddenly, stepping out of the darkness and into the silvery metal light of the moon. Link! Hi, Myra. Link, what are you doing here? I saw you, on Fear Street. I was in the truck. I decided to follow. I was worried. I mean, what are you doing here all alone? What business is it of yours? For a brief second, she was glad to see him, but when he mentioned the truck, she froze. She pictured Donna lying in the hospital, tubes in her arms. The fear returned, the trembling, the headache. She decided to cover it up by being angry. She wouldn't let him see that she was frightened. Are you sleepwalking again? Link asked, an odd half-smile forming on his face. No, I am not, she said coldly. How do you know about that anyway? He shrugged. The half-smile faded. His dark eyes burned into hers. You shouldn't be alone in the Fear Street woods, Myra. You lived in Shadyside long enough to know that. Did he sound sincerely concerned, or was that some kind of veiled threat? I can take care of myself, she said, turning her back on him. She sat back down on the tree stump and struggled to untie the knot from her sneaker. I'm sick of you following me around. I want you to stop it, starting now. But I really am worried about you, Myra. Well, go worry somewhere else, she snapped. She turned to look up at him. His face was filled with concern. You shouldn't be here, he repeated, ignoring her anger. I'm meeting Walker, she lied. I wish you wouldn't be here when he gets here. You're meeting him here. Yeah, is that okay with you? He laughed. What's so funny? This isn't exactly a convenient meeting place, is it? Look around. You don't see a whole lot of couples walking through the woods in the dark to meet here. Well, Walker and I like a little excitement? She knew that sounded lame, but it was the best she could do. He frowned and tossed his dark mane of hair as if shaking off her words. How come you two didn't come here together? Link asked. Go away, Link. I really want to be alone here. Myra, I'm sorry. Really. I was in a truck back on Fear Street and I saw you. I shouldn't have followed you, but I don't know. Did you have the truck on the highway, Link? Between here and Waynesbridge? The question just popped out. She had to know the answer. She had to know if it was his pickup that nearly killed Donna. Huh? You heard me. Last week. Were you the one? Myra, what are you talking about? She stared into his dark eyes, searching for the truth. A red pickup truck tried to run Donna off the highway. She was driving my mother's Toyota, and... He looked genuinely confused. Donna, is she okay? Myra, are you feeling all right? You're not making any sense. She shook her head. She couldn't tell if Link was pretending not to know anything or if he really was innocent. If it was his truck on the highway, he never admitted it now, she realized. She was sorry she'd asked him about it. Suddenly, he reached down and grabbed her arm. Myra, let me take you home. She jumped to her feet and pulled away from his grasp. Let go of me! I miss you so much, he said. He moved forward and grabbed her with both arms. Myra tried to pull away, but he was holding her too tightly. His dark eyes were wild. 
I miss you so much, he repeated. His voice sounded tense, strange. He's out of control, Myra thought. Link, let go of me! No, I won't. He tightened his grip, pulling her against him. Not till you admit that you miss me too. He dropped his arms to her waist. Link, no! He squeezed her tightly. He lowered his face to kiss her. No, Link, please! She turned her head. He pressed his face against her cheek. Let go of me! She raised a fist to hit his left ear. He jerked up his head, startled. Hey! She ducked down quickly, surprising him, pulling out of his grasp. Myra, wait! She scrambled toward the dock, turned, and saw him reaching out for her. Wait, I didn't mean anything, he called, his eyes frantic and wild. Thinking only of escape, she plunged off the dock and into the water. Oh, so cold! She gasped momentarily, paralyzed by the shock of the cold. And at that moment, it came back to her.